Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister in Canadian history. But I've already done that. This is part two, looking at the opposition leaders who never became Prime Minister. Last week we covered Edward Blake, and this week we're covering Daniel Duncan Mackenzie. But first, if you like, you can support the podcast for $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway, and it releases every single Thursday. As well, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Last episode, I talked about Edward Blake, the first leader of the official opposition to never become Prime Minister, when he served from 1880 to 1887. Today, we're going to jump ahead three decades past the First World War for the next person who served as leader, but never became Prime Minister, Daniel Duncan Mackenzie. I debated about including Mackenzie and a couple others because they were acting leaders rather than official leaders, but I thought it would be a good idea. As well, when I say that three liberal leaders never became Prime Minister, I'm not including Mackenzie in that as he was acting rather than elected by the party. Mackenzie also has the distinction of filling the gap between the death of Sir Wilfrid Laurier on February 17, 1919 and before the arrival of William Lyon Mackenzie King as leader on April 7, 1919, a role he would fill for the better part of three decades. As a result of his limited time and power, this won't be a very long episode. Daniel Duncan Mackenzie was born in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia on January 8, 1859 to Duncan and Jesse Mackenzie. Educated at public school, he would go on to Sydney Academy where he studied law with George Murray, who was a member of the Nova Scotia House of Assembly from 1867 to 1871 as a member of the Anti-Confederation Party. For Mackenzie, working as a lawyer, one of his most noble clients was the Nova Scotia Steel Company. His first foray into political life came when he was appointed as the Commissioner of Schools for Cape Breton, followed by ten terms on the Municipal Council of North Sydney, including five years as the mayor of the community. He would marry Florence MacDonald of Sydney Mines, and the community of Florence, Cape Breton would be named for her later in life. The couple would live as Presbyterians and by all accounts had a very happy marriage. In 1900, he would be elected to the Nova Scotia House of Assembly as a Liberal, and again in 1901. In 1904, he would be elected to the House of Commons of Canada for the North Cape Breton and Victoria riding, serving for the next two years. In 1906, he resigned as he was appointed as a judge in the County Court of Nova Scotia, and working as a judge for the next two years, he resigned and was elected once again to the House of Commons in 1908, and would remain in Parliament for over a decade. Upon the death of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, who had been the leader of the party since 1887, Mackenzie took over as acting leader of the party on February 17, 1919. At the time, it was stated that he, quote, ascended higher on the political pyramid than any other Cape Bretoner before or since, end quote. While Mackenzie was now the acting leader, he refused to occupy the chair that had been once used by Sir Wilfrid Laurier. The Ottawa Citizen would report on February 26, 1919, quote, Standing by the chair of the dead leader, Mr. Mackenzie said he felt that he would never be filled again. The leadership of the Liberal Party would be filled, 
but the present could not produce a man who was capable of taking the place which Sir Wilfrid's death had left vacant. End quote. Mackenzie would state in the same article that he was sorry that the duty of paying tribute had not fallen on more capable shoulders than his own. He would state that with the death of Laurier he found himself longing, quote, for the touch of a vanished hand and the sound of a voice that is still, end quote. He would add that Laurier was a Democrat to the hilt, and he would understand the feelings of the people because he had grown and lived with them. Mackenzie would continue by saying, quote, If he had been born in any other country, in the United States, for example, his position would have been similar to that of Washington or Lincoln. End quote. On March 6, 1919, H.F. Gadsby would report on the new leader of the party, stating that he was filling a dead man's shoes. He would state, while giving an incorrect name for Mackenzie, quote, Daniel Donald Mackenzie of Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, is the Joshua O. the Pitch, who will bridge the gap between the wilderness and the promised land until the Liberal Party holds its national convention next midsummer. Then the real Saul will be chosen. But meantime, Mackenzie's the man. End quote. Gadsby would continue, quote, Leader Mackenzie's job is to lead under advisement for the next five months or so, to do the rough and tumble, to endure the head and shoulder the burden, to draw the salary, which is a consideration, but not to occupy the vacant chair, which is to be kept sacred for Sir Wilfrid Laurier's permanent successor. End quote. Gadsby would finish his assessment of Mackenzie, stating, quote, I will make a guess that this will be a brisk session with D.D. Mackenzie in the van. He is full of impetus, but he does lack discretion. He was a judge for two years upon a time, but found the life dull and got back into politics where he could apply his judiciousness to livelier issues. His performance then convinces me that he will handle the political situation with courage and boldness. End quote. During his time as leader, Mackenzie had little time to do much beyond attack the government for various matters. On April 23, 1919, he would attack the government regarding the fact that Canadian manufacturers were unable to use wool produced in Canada and had to import it from the United States. He would also put forward a motion that the construction of the Welland Canal should be done by returning soldiers who were arriving home and needed work. On May 9th, he would again attack the government over demobilization following the end of the First World War. He would state that the men on the Canadian ship Niobe wanted to get away and claimed that the officers were delaying demobilization simply for the purpose of keeping positions for themselves. As the leader of the Liberal Party, Mackenzie would also draft the agenda for the first Liberal Convention, and he would state, quote, The purpose of the Convention will be first to draft, discuss, and adopt the platform of the Liberal Party of Canada, second, to deal with the question of party organization, and third, to select a leader in succession to Sir Wilfrid Laurier, end quote. Mackenzie would serve as leader until August 7, 1919, when the first Liberal Leadership Convention ever held was conducted. The first Leadership Convention had been called by Sir Wilfrid Laurier prior to his death, with the intention of reinvigorating the party after it had spent eight years in opposition. There was also the matter of the conscription crisis which had split the party. The Laurier Liberals remained in opposition, while the Liberal Unionist faction were part of the Union government of Sir Robert Borden. Prior to the convention, party leaders were chosen by the outgoing leader or the parliamentary caucus. The Liberal caucus, in the wake of the death of Laurier, felt that this was not a proper representation of Canada's growing diversity. In the convention, four candidates put their name forward. There was William Lyon Mackenzie King, the former Minister of Labour, 
William Stevens Fielding, the former Minister of Finance and the Premier of Nova Scotia from 1884 to 1896, George Graham, and Mackenzie. Fielding was seen as the natural successor to Laurier, but in 1917 he had split with the party over the issue of conscription and became a Liberal Unionist MP, which would hurt his support in the party. The convention would kick off with the arrival of Mackenzie, and the Montreal Gazette reported, quote, Mr. D.D. Mackenzie, the first of the aspirants for leadership to arrive, was received with a round of applause. He proceeded to the platform to temporarily preside over the proceedings. End quote. During the convention, Mackenzie put forward a resolution for the reduction to the high cost of living and to outlaw profiteering in Canada as part of the Liberal platform. According to the Victoria Daily Times, the speech in favour of the matter by Mackenzie was met with great enthusiasm and the resolution was carried. Also during his speech to the Liberal delegates, Mackenzie stated that he had been a follower of Sir Wilfrid Laurier to the last. Mackenzie also had some heavy weights behind him for the leadership of the party, including Frank Oliver, who had served in Parliament since 1896 and was the Minister of the Interior from 1905 to 1911. The Calgary Herald would report, quote, between the lot of them, D.D. Mackenzie, the temporary leader, had a splendid chance of slipping in. End quote. The Ottawa Citizen would report, quote, D.D. Mackenzie, who'd been lagging somewhat of late when over the jumps, made the effort of his life and had the delegates yelling and waving. End quote. Not every newspaper thought well of the chances of Mackenzie to take the leadership, though. The Regina Leader Post would state, quote, Whatever the degree of support which will be accorded D.D. Mackenzie, his followers assuredly are a quiet and docile lot, doing little shouting from the housetop. So it happens that his name is not at all prominent. It will be surprising if the last analysis he is above the foot of the ladder. End quote. The first ballot would begin at 3.45pm on August 7th. In the first ballot, King was only 5 percentage points above Fielding, while Mackenzie was tied for last place with Graham with 16.2% of the vote. In the second ballot, King increased his lead to 43.8%, compared to Fielding's 36.6%. Mackenzie dropped to 6.4%, well back of the leaders of the ballot. On the last ballot, Graham and Mackenzie withdrew and King won, becoming the leader of the party. If you want to learn more about him, well, just listen to an earlier episode on From John to Justin, where I covered his entire life. Due to his experience in the party and his time as interim leader, Mackenzie was rewarded by King with the post of Solicitor General in King's first term in office. In 1923, Mackenzie resigned from the House of Commons after he was named a judge with the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia on March 23rd. Rumors of Mackenzie taking over the post on the Supreme Court began to swirl as early as January. The Saskatoon Star Phoenix would state, while using his wrong name, quote, Honorable D.C. Mackenzie, Solicitor General, it is understood may accept an appointment to the Supreme Court bench in Nova Scotia. This vacancy has existed for some time. The position had been previously offered to Honorable Mr. Mackenzie. It is understood and the indications are that he will leave the political field to accept it within a short time. End quote. By the time he left politics, he had spent 19 years in the House of Commons, which is no small feat, but despite this and his role as the leader between the two icons of the Liberal Party, do you know who he is today? The Winnipeg Tribune would report, quote, The appointment of Mr. Mackenzie, forecast frequently within the last few months, comes after 19 years in the House of Commons. End quote. 
With the loss of Mackenzie from the House of Commons, there was a worry regarding representation in the House of Commons cabinet for Nova Scotia. The post of Solicitor General would remain vacant until November 13, 1923, when Edward James McMurray took over, a member of Parliament from Winnipeg. Mackenzie would continue to serve in the court until June 8, 1927, when he died at the age of 68. By this point, he was mostly forgotten in political circles and in the Canadian consciousness. His death would be printed on page 9 of the Ottawa Citizen. He would report, quote, Just as D.D. Mackenzie of the Supreme Court died here today after an illness of two months, he is survived by Mrs. Mackenzie, who was Miss Florence MacDonald of North Sydney, and a son, Russell of Montreal, end quote. While his name is mostly forgotten and his role as leader is a mere blip in the history of Canada, there is one very interesting aspect about Mackenzie. Throughout his entire political life, from his days in municipal politics all the way up to federal politics, he never once lost an election. So what would things look like if Mackenzie became Prime Minister? Well, he wouldn't have been around as long as Mackenzie King for one thing. Arthur Meehan, who became Prime Minister, was a capable politician and he did serve as Prime Minister twice. While he won more seats in the 1926 election, King was capable enough as a politician to keep power. When King's coalition fell apart, he still won the next election and then he won again in 1935. I don't think Mackenzie had the ability to do that. So if Mackenzie became Prime Minister as if any won in the 1921 election like King did, I don't think he would have served more than one term. In many ways, he was similar to King in ideology, so there would have been very little differences between the two, although my hope is that Mackenzie would not implement the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1924. Best case scenario, we'd be talking about Duncan Mackenzie, our 10th Prime Minister, who served from 1921 to 1926, and the biggest change likely would have been Arthur Meehan having a full term from 1926 to 1930, rather than just a few months. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Daniel Duncan McKenzie. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randa McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Nova Scotians at Home and Abroad, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, Ottawa Citizen, The Victoria Daily Times, the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, Regina Leader Post, Montreal Gazette, and the Winnipeg Tribune. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.